coming up on today's show. Not now. We, 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 uh, just, just play the intro, Nat. Welcome to the award-winning Tomahawk Show. It is Andrew Hawkins joined by Joe Thomas. As you can hear, we don't know what emotions to have, which I feel like is the state of a lot of people who are fans of the Cleveland Browns. Joe, how you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. You know, the further away from game day that we get, the more I feel very satisfied, I would say, is maybe the, the emotion that I'm feeling the most with how far the Browns have come throughout the season um, and how they did in the postseason. Really, nobody gave them a chance to beat the Steelers. They smoked the Steelers, which was just so beautiful and so sweet. And then they gave the best effort um, against the Chiefs and really came right, up. Don't, 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 don't go too far into it, Joe. Very close. All right, so if you're listening the on uh, the show, if you've been living under a rock, find us on social media at Tomahawk Show across all platforms. Um, yeah, so before we get into deep dive into the Cleveland Browns game, season state of the franchise all of the above um make sure you like and subscribe me and joe are still trying to figure out what our schedule will be for the remainder of the season but we have a lot of fun calling each other so we're on a little bit of a roll here three weeks in a row three shows you love it we love it let's keep that going we got fat nat in the building fat Mm. nat how are you doing today i'm doing well today actually woke up feeling good oh yeah that's dangerous i, probably, I was gonna say dangerous. probably because <laughs> no that was probably because the before. warriors beat the lakers but that uh, was whatever amazing but we won't get into that <laughs> we will not get into that all right it was wild card or nope it was divisional round weekend and we're gonna save the best for last we're gonna start off just top line joe what what from this past weekend of playoff games stood out to you well the big thing that stood out was drew Brees and maybe not performing at the level we kind of all expected and then what happened after the game where he sort of retired but hasn't officially announced his retirement so i think just being able to see brady Brees one more time uh for the people that watched of which i didn't because i was so bitter about what happened at the browns game <laughs> so i kind of watch it like you know the the movie you've seen a bunch of time that's on tv in the background like i watched yep. a little bit i saw some plays but I wasn't dialed in like I usually will uh, will be. But um, I think that was probably outside of the Browns-Chiefs game. That was a big takeaway for me. I think um, I got really excited thinking about Bills-Chiefs after the somberness of the Browns' loss. I think that's going to be a really exciting matchup, especially if Patrick Mahomes is able to get back because Josh Allen is looking really really good like probably the third best quarterback in the nfl right now the bills are rolling their defense is playing outstanding football they're like the one defense you say you know they might be able to find a way to slow down i'm not going to say stop patrick mahomes and the chiefs offense but they might be able to slow them down and um on the nfc side aaron Rodgers looking amazing Devontae adams best receiver in the nfl would love to hear your thoughts on that yeah man that, that they're scary right now the Packers are that that was my biggest takeaway. I'm like, yo, they, they legit could win the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I think it's gonna come down to if Mahomes plays, I think it's gonna be a Packers Chiefs Super Bowl. I don't like to count Brady out because he's balled too. And I'm like, even heading into the game versus Saints, I'm like, yo, there's no way you're gonna beat Tom Brady three games in a season. Right? It was crazy that the Saints did it twice. Um, it was sad though. It was a sad ass moment watching Drew Brees walk off the field. And then obviously the news um, today from when we're recording is that 
Philip Rivers has retired too, and like they've been such staples of in our football experience, not just as players, as fans. Like I remember the years those guys got drafted and like you know hoping to play in the NFL one day and that kind of stuff. So to see them hang it up, man. I don't know. You shed a little bit of a tear yeah. seeing all the Drew Brees love and the walking off with the kids and, you know, how he stopped and looked back and paused. Because you remember those moments for yourself, right? Oh, yeah. Or at least I do. You might not. Because I you were do. Carted no, off. I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't carted off. Thankfully, I was able to jog off, which, you know, <laughs> in, in a weird sense, my brain was sort of accepting the fact that that might be the last time I walk or run off the field um, in the NFL when I hurt my tricep. And from when I got to college, this is a brief story. Um, the offensive linemen at Wisconsin who were older than me always said, one thing we do to always kind of like set the meathead tone is we always jog from drill to drill. And then we always jog on and off the field, no matter what, like that is who we are. That's like the standard, right? You know, everywhere you go, there's the standard, whether it be the receiver room or the grocery yep. store or uh, Tomahawk show, like you have a standard that you have to maintain. And as an offensive lineman, I always thought, you know, that was kind of a good way to just get yourself going. Like we jog onto the field. I feel better. I'm ready to go. Like I didn't want that wake up moment to be when the ball got snapped. Um, and so after I hurt my tricep, I don't think I've ever said it. I said this before, but I wanted to make sure that I jogged off the field just in case it was the very last time mm. I ever ran off an NFL field. So I jogged off with the triceps. So if you ever see those videos of me jogging off with um, Taylor Lewan trying to like chase after me and slap <laughs> me on the butt and say like, it's going to be okay, man. Um, that's the reason why, because I always wanted to jog on and off the field and you never know when it's going to be your last time, but Drew Brees definitely looked like he knew that was his last time and he was trying to soak it in. Yeah, no, I mean, for the city of New Orleans, football fans, like we're not even Saints fans. And it was like, damn, it's kind of over, you know, I, and to your point, you remember that from when you're when you were jogging off the field or like my last time, I actually have a five minute monologue of mm. me, not for my last game. I kind of knew it was my last game, but I wasn't sure. And then I decided to sign with the Patriots, as you know, and go into a, a crazy one of the best <laughs> offseason careers you've ever heard of. But am I going to my last practice with the Patriots? I recorded like a literally I was walking from the hotel to the field and I, you know, my knees are hurting and I'm like, I knew I wasn't coming back. So I opened my phone up and on the way down there, I basically talked about feelings that I was feeling in that moment. Like, yo, this is my last football practice. This is the, the thing I've done my whole life. This is the only goal I've ever had in my life. And on the other side of this video, it'll be over, you know. Um, so maybe I'll release that with this episode, which I think wow. will probably do pretty well on social media. Yeah, that, that was a lot of foresight. Were you doing it? Here's the question. Are you a fake ass faker? <laughs> were you doing it because you knew that like five years from now, you're going to have a lot of likes and a lot of views or were you doing it because you were thinking, you know, someday this might be interesting for my kids to be able to like see through my eyes, what I was experiencing when I decided to hang it up or I maybe a little was... bit of both. It's all right. I think it's more for me. Like if I was doing it for the views and stuff, I would have released it already, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not that much of a content genius. Where I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna give it five years past yes. retirement to really. Yes. No, I think it was just for me. It was like Part so many times things have happened, right? Like I remember signing my first contract, and I remember the emotion that I could feel it. I knew what that felt like. Mm. But then there's other moments that are big, whether it's you know good or bad that it's hard for me to like put myself back in those shoes because over time it just becomes your reality. So I, right. I was like, 
you know, understanding in this moment, this could be it. This is the last practice. This is the last time in my life I'll be able to make a video on my way to a football practice. I thought it would be cool to just voice my emotions and so I can look back and just think what mindset I was in at that time. It is funny that as time passes, you remember the emotions you had, but you don't remember how deep they were. Like you remember you were happy or sad or you were worried, but you don't really feel it the same way you did uh, the longer time passes, which is kind of an interesting sidebar. But I I think the interesting thing with Breeze retiring and Philip Rivers retiring is that there was this whole generation, and I don't know if there's an official name for it, but there was a lot of really freaking good stand-in-the-pocket quarterbacks that came out of yeah. like about a 10-year span. Let, let's say it started with Manning and Brady and went through Breeze and Phillip Rivers and then Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger. There was like, what, seven or eight guys you could probably list if we did any prep for this show. You'd come up with a very <laughs> comprehensive, awesome list. But they were all like the statue, stand-in-the-pocket, classic pocket passer NFL quarterbacks. And as time has passed, there was like a big gap between probably the last one was maybe like Eli Manning in what, 2002. And then there wasn't really any really great ones like that for a long period. And then all of a sudden now we have a totally different type of quarterback that everybody's looking for. The Patrick Mahomes, the Lamar Jackson, the quarterback that can beat you with his legs, not necessarily just running the football, but like getting outside the pocket and escaping pressure. Um, And so you wonder if the game will ever come back full circle and want and desire those statuesque type quarterbacks. But I think it's important for us to just kind of appreciate like how great those guys were in that generation and how that generation is gone now. And we're watching kind of the last of them with Brady, really, because. Aaron Rodgers is in that generation and he's kind of a pocket he's like passer. one foot in, one foot out. But right? he's yeah, he's he was like maybe the bridge before there was the bridge. Right. Yeah, he's like a little more mobile. I would say you could probably put uh Matt Stafford and uh, Matt yeah. Ryan in there. They're, they're they, like those statuesque, but they haven't quite but they gone never to reached that. those heights because they never they got never that did. Super Bowl. Never got the Super Bowl. And it's like they they kind of ushered in the new yeah. era of like, hey, we want some late. Even Justin Herbert, who has a rocket, right? As yeah. a rookie. You know, even he's mobile, yeah. even at Ooh. six foot six or whatever he is. Yeah. Um, Here's a question. Um, Drew Brees, obviously first ballot Hall of Famer. He's got so many of the passing mm-hmm. records. Uh, only one Super Bowl, which I'm sure that's a big regret from him when he's going to look back on it, why he's not going to be remembered, in my opinion, as as great as Manning or Brady. Right. I think those are two guys, you know, that most people kind of think are the top three for sure, maybe all-time quarterbacks because of the number of Super Bowls that they won and Breeze only was able to win one. Um, But with Phillip Rivers, never even played in a Super Bowl. Does he make the Hall of Fame in your opinion? Yeah, I don't know, man. I was was heavy on the Phillip Rivers doesn't get in. And then when he retired, my mind was like, oh, yeah, he's a (laughs) Hall of Famer. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, when you're stacking up just stats, that's the interesting thing because here's here's the other point that you got to understand Matt Stafford will likely have more passing yards than some of these guys, depending on how long he plays, right? Mm -hmm. Or Matt Ryan, then that begs the question of, is it stats or is it Super Bowls? Like, is Eli Manning Super Bowl? It's in my mind, Eli is. He won the game twice. But if you look up just the numbers, I don't know. You can make a case to say, yeah, they just played a very, very long time. So I don't know. I think, has Phillip Rivers ever, was he a top quarterback in the league in a year? It's a tough era to be that in, you know? Yeah. I think earlier on in his career when San Diego was like 14 and two, 
when Norv Turner was there. Like yeah. they were really good. They got yeah. bounced in the beginning of the playoffs several times, but they were the best team in the AFC for a little while. Um, yeah. You know, and so I think that plays into favor for him. And I think also the fact that he was so competitive and he really was a guy that was known for his competitive spirit more than these other guys. Like if you're going to just compare straight stats with like a Matt Ryan or a Matt Stafford, um, you know, maybe in, at the end of the day, those two guys I just mentioned are going to have better numbers than Philip Rivers across the board. But moments in Philip Rivers's career stand out way more than those other guys yep. um, because of the the game that Philip Rivers played with the torn ACL and the back and forth battles that Philip had with the Chiefs and the Raiders and how competitive he was and how he was always that forefront guy that was talking the trash without any swears, of course, yeah, um, and how he was the last quarterback in San Diego and he shuffled in the transition between the San Diego Chargers and the LA Chargers. I think that plays into him for him, but. You know, it, it's funny when you talk about is this guy a Hall of Famer or not. It's not necessarily a, a binary choice, like yes or no. It's is he a Hall of Famer compared to the other guys that he's getting voted in with? Because right. to get into the Hall of Fame, you have to be one of the best six guys that are available in that year. And it's easy for us to say, yep, Eli Manning, he's a Hall of Famer. Philip Rivers, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. But when all of a sudden now you're stacking him against uh, Charles Woodson or, uh, you know, Dwight Freeney or like yep. these other guys at different positions, you say, yeah, all of those guys in your head, you think they're a Hall of Famer. But it's hard to kind of parse who's better than who when they're not playing the same position. But then all, at the same time, you're saying, well, do we let all these quarterbacks from the passing era in just because their numbers were so off the chart? So it'll be interesting to kind of watch this and see where the voters kind of move five, six years from now when these guys are uh, eligible. And we always say we're going to just do a quick episode. and We always go longer. So I'm going to try to keep us along here. So I want to get a definitive <laughs> from you. Is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer or not? Before you say that, I will say I think one way to think about it is did they dominate the games they played? Were they in control of their games? And for Philip Rivers, to your point, he was the guy in control of the game, right? Yeah. When he played well, they won. And it was like he was the X factor in those games. I don't know if I feel that way about Matt Ryan or Matt Stafford, right? They're they're good quarterbacks. They're solid. But were they in control of the game and their, their team's destiny? I don't know. It's like Dan Marino. Dan Marino, people, depending on who you ask, say he's the best quarterback ever. Because when they watched him play, they knew who the guy was in charge. He can't go out there and tackle guys. But he was the X factor in his game. And even some of these new guys are like that as well. Like, yep. you know, the Lamars, the Patrick Mahomes, say what you want. But in the air, in the air they're in now, they are the X factors in their games. And yep. I think that's a determining factor yeah. along with the statistics. So final yeah. thought, Joe, is he in or is he not? I think he gets in and that persuasive argument you made right at the end. That, that what That's, that's what put good, me right? over the top. I love that. Yeah, because I remember playing against Philip Rivers like uh, a bunch of times when I was in Cleveland. It seemed like we kind of uh, several times would finish in the same part of the AFC as far as your ranking. So you get lined up the next season against them. And he was the guy you had to stop. And he had so yep. many weapons that he was getting the football to. And I mean, everything went through Phillips. So I, I give him the, uh, the thumbs up. I don't know if it'll be first ballot. It probably won't. I think he'll have to wait a couple years, but I think he gets in. Yep. Yep. No, the interesting one will be Eli, right? Cause yeah. Eli was this like, he's like in between us when the playoffs happened, it was him. He was the guy yeah. doing it. Right. So, all right, well, I think Phillip Rivers gets in as well. Uh, looking forward to the NFC or NFC and AFC championships. Um, and again, we'll talk Browns here momentarily. But who do you got? Give me, give me picks for this weekend. 
Yeah, I think these are great games. Honestly, when you look at them and you start breaking them down, the NFL has got to feel really good. I think the NFL honestly would have felt a little better with Browns Bills because of those fan bases and how much those two fan bases have gone through and the fact that they're, you know, these Rust Belt cities with such great passionate followings finally getting back to potentially the Super Bowl. Uh, But still, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, that's pretty exciting. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're not a big NFL fan. That's an exciting matchup. And uh, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers on the other side, that's pretty exciting too. But as you kind of start breaking it down, I think as hot as Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur's offense is in Green Bay, that is going to be really hard for the Buccaneers to stop. I know that the Bucs have a very good defense, but Aaron Rodgers is just playing on a different level right now. He was going to win the MVP, in my opinion, at the end of the regular season, and he somehow has cranked that dial up another notch yeah. and looks just unstoppable right now. And even though Tom Brady, since their bye week, him and Bruce Arians have been on the same page. He's feeling much more comfortable throwing the ball to Antonio Brown and all those playmakers. He's really figured out a nice flow and a nice rhythm, and his arm looks younger and healthier than it did yeah, early on in the season, which is crazy. Like he's throwing those outside routes and those down-the-field passes better than he did early on in the season right now. Um, and so I, I think it's going to be a fun battle. I don't think it's going to be very high-scoring, to be honest, because sometimes cold weather, because it'll be played in Lambeau, has a way of – maybe limiting the number of points that get scored because the ball doesn't fly quite as well. The kicks are a little bit more difficult. Guys are running a little bit more slowly because your body just doesn't function that well when it's below freezing. Um, But I got green Bay in that game and looking in the AFC, I got the bills and, and whether Patty Mahomes plays or not, I think the bills are legitimate contenders with as great as their defense is playing with Josh Allen's ability to convert third downs with his feet, not only just running, but to escape yeah. the rush and get outside and find Stefan Diggs. I think that is a matchup that is going to be really difficult to beat. And here's one thing to think about, even if Patrick Mahomes plays like his foot was banged up. I know people have talked about the concussion and the nerve and whatever else, but there, there's uh, a lot of indication that he's got this toe injury that really was bugging him. He was struggling a little bit to move in the Browns game even before he got hit on that option play that um, Mac Wilson tackled him on. Uh, and I think not practicing and then being a little bit limited from a mobility standpoint, it severely limits who Patrick Mahomes is as a quarterback because he relies on his ability to escape the rush and wait mm-hmm. for his guys to run downfield a ridiculous distance and then get him the football in half a second. Yeah, I, I like that take. I do. I agree with you on the Aaron Rodgers one. I think the Buccaneers will put up a good fight, but ultimately I'm going with the Packers. On the other side, though, I don't I don't see if Patrick Mahomes plays. I mean, and this is a good segue into the Browns game, right? Um, I don't see how they can stop this dude. Right. And I know he has a banged up foot, but even him at 90 percent is still the best quarterback in the game. Like watching the Browns game and now we'll go right into it. It was like as good as we were doing or our strategy, whatever. And it worked. It was a good it was good. There were some things obviously we'll take back at the end of the game. You know, the hindsight is 2020 thing. But for Patrick Mahomes specifically, I'm like, yo, we can't stop this dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, you literally, and I tweeted this, you have to play perfect. The rest have to call a perfect game. Yeah. Everyone has to be on their around him to to be able to best him because, I mean, it just looks so effortless. Like, when he, he needed does. whatever yards he needs, he gets. gets. Whatever throws he has to make, he makes. It's like, yo, how do you stop no that? No problem. Yeah, like, what do we need? Cool, I'll do this. Yeah. And it was like, 
that was just disheartening. But, you know, when he went down, I felt like the football gods were smiling upon Cleveland. You know, it was really interesting to me because I, I was really fortunate. I was able to go s- sit in that stadium in Arrowhead and watch the game and watch Patrick Mahomes up close and in person. And I, I kind of knew this was the strategy for most defenses. They're playing these deep cover twos to try to keep everybody in front of them. Because the one thing you don't want is Miko Hardman, Tyree Kill to go run over the top of your safeties and score 40, 50, 70 yard touchdown passes. And you can't blitz Patrick Mahomes because one, the Andy Reid West Coast system has a lot of quick answers if you do try to blitz. And everybody on that offense is really smart and they're on the same page and their understanding of who's the hot guy, who has to break off and look for the football if there's an extra rusher that they can't block. Patrick Mahomes is great at getting him the ball because he's got those arm angles that no matter where the hands and the bodies are, he can deliver it around, over, underneath him if he has to. Um, so you can't blitz him. And then on the other th- the other thing is if you try to blitz him and play man coverage, he's going to escape for the most part. And now you're trying to play man coverage for four and a half, five seconds against Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. It doesn't Michael matter Hartman. who it is. You can't guard it, anybody in the NFL for six it's seconds. It's impossible. Yeah. And, and with his arm strength, those guys, all they have to do is run 70 yards down the field, and there's no blade of grass that Patrick can't, can't throw to. football to. <laughs> so that's why you can't blitz him. So everybody plays these deep cover twos. That's what the Browns were trying to do. Occasionally you'll mix it up and play some different – mans or some other uh, versions of zone. But for the most part, you're trying to play deep. But what happens is those dudes are so fast, including Travis Kelsey, that Patrick drops back and they sprint down the field. I mean, a lot of the stuff they're doing is running four verticals and deep vertical type routes, which backs Mm -hmm. those safeties, backs those corners up. And it creates this horizontal and vertical stretch in your zone coverages underneath where Travis Kelsey turns around and he sits down and catches a 20 yard bullet from Patrick Mahomes because the windows are small. But when you throw the ball as hard as Patrick Mahomes does, he doesn't need a big window to be able to hit a a deep 20-yard pass down the field where most guys don't have the arm strength to get it there before the zones close. And so it was like it didn't matter. If you take that away, he he swings it to the running back for a 20-yard gain because everyone's running deep with the receivers. It was like it didn't matter what the Browns did. He was going to get exactly what he needed. And honestly, they're – the the score was a little bit lopsided in the first half, but they were limiting possessions. The Browns only had the ball three times in the first half. Yep. They were going to get the ball first. They did get the ball first in the second half. And even though they were behind, I was saying, this is the pace of play that we want. It's like Wisconsin yep. basketball going against Louisville back when they yep. were the up-tempo. No, I, don't, I don't really watch that much college ball anymore, so I don't know if Louisville <laughs> is still an up-tempo, up-and-down-the-court team. But, like, Wisconsin, we wanted to slow it down. Like, the Browns, they wanted to slow it down. They had that going on, and Baker got an opportunity at the beginning of the second half to go down and score and cut the lead and and make it that game that you wanted. But unfortunately, it was probably the worst play of the game for him. He held onto the ball and threw across his body through an interception yeah. and, uh, and made it a longer scored uh, a longer difference in score than than you wanted at that point yeah and 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 like we said you got to be perfect and it's like it's unrealistic but you have to be right and and you know also with the Rashard Higgins play which again it's him trying to make a play him trying to make a touchdown and I guess it was a helmet to helmet it should have been called you know what I mean but that play and even looking back it's like yo it made the difference I'm I'm I was okay with it during the play I'm okay with it now no matter what because I just think with what you know with Going, you know, some people were debating whether or not he should have reached the ball out. Oh, it was like, yeah. yo, like you got to make up. You're playing Patrick Mahomes. We, if there's a game to yeah. go for it, it's you this. You can't be timid, you know. And my, my, if I could take one thing back, I, I wish Stefanski would have gone for the fourth down 
because even in that <sighs> moment, that's not a hindsight thing. And I get, I, I understand both sides of it, but here's the reason why I say it. Not just because you're going for it. It's that that entire drive, we were doing what we said we needed to do beforehand, right? We were running the football, right? So it's going to put you in a fourth and two situation. We were eating up clock deep into the game, understanding they don't have Patrick Mahomes and our running game was working. So I feel like if you made the decision to run the ball and eat up as much clock and possessions as we did, then in that situation, you're going for broke. Like this is the drive where it matters. So my, my thinking was, again, the same reason why you go for it on fourth down that time is like, you're, this is the drive. You're going, you're, you're putting it all out there, this yeah. drive. So yeah. even when fourth down again, there isn't yeah. like, yo, we're punting. We're like, and you're in midfield at this point, right? Like who's to say their kicker won't miss again. I just felt like we should have, yeah. I don't know. I mean, in hindsight, I, I like the decision to punt and, one of the reasons was obviously Chad Henney's on the other sideline. You're playing to win the game. Um, in that situation, you're still down by five. I know that if you don't get it and they kick a field goal, you're still only down by eight and you got a chance to tie it and then go win. But I thought fourth and nine was a tall task for the Browns to be able to convert because as, as solid as they had been playing on offense, it wasn't like they were really throwing the football really efficiently. I think Baker only had barely 200 yards passing. And so it wasn't like a fourth and nine is a high percentage chance for them to convert. I, I like the idea, punt it to Chad Henney, stop them where they should have. And you're going to get the ball back and you're going to get one opportunity, maybe six or seven plays in your two minute offense to go down the field and score a touchdown to win the game. When the pressure is all on Kansas city, I like being in that situation, right? They didn't think it would be a close game at the end. Those fans in the stands, their booty holes were Gore-Tex tight. Like I was, I, I tweeted <laughs> during the game, like those people were nervous. The Chiefs sideline, they were nervous. They didn't think they'd be in this situation. They didn't think they Patrick Mahomes would be hurt. They got Chad Henney back there. So they're afraid. They're nervous. That's when you get tight. That's when you get an opportunity for Baker Mayfield and that offense to be able to go down and convert a couple third downs, make the play that you need to at the end of the game because the Chiefs are all sorts of tight and you're loose because you got nothing to lose and you're playing with house money. So I like that decision. Uh, I was just the most disappointed at the end, like most people, to allow Chad Henney when you're in a zone coverage to scramble for, what, 19 yards or something like yeah. that to almost get the first down. And then on the fourth and short to not be ready for sprint right option, which is like the only play that you can pass in that situation in the West coast offenses sprint, right option, especially when Tyree kill was in that slot. I know that um, I think the, the defensive back that the Browns had, who was covering him, were worried about him going across the field. I don't know if you watched the replay. So he was playing a yep. pretty heavy inside leverage. So he's worried about Tyreek, which a lot of times when you have a, a receiver in the slot going across the field, he's really fast. Like you won't, you worry about that. But at the same time, you got to know what the situation is and who the quarterback is. They're probably not going to drop back pass and have Tyreek Hill run all the way across the field. So you got to be thinking, okay, yeah, I know I'm inside leverage because I'm in man coverage or whatever, but like, I got to think he's probably running that little speed out or running something to the sideline to get a safe yeah. pass and maybe don't go for the big inside fake where you fall down almost and give him an easy completion to the sideline. Let me think I want to hear that. a receiver take. So typically when a, when a DB is on the inside leverage, that is the position on the field that the safeties are vulnerable, right? So what I would know as a slot is that if he's playing inside of me, there's safeties, there's two safeties. Right. If there's a split safety, if he's outside, he's trying to funnel me that way because that's where his safety help is. So I don't exactly remember the coverage, but I would imagine based on an inside leverage technique, there had to be split safety and he had to protect that middle of the field. 
um, probably because that's the quickest and easiest throw. So the, the tough part is on a Q8, which is the, the name of the sprint out and the route that Tariq Hill run, ran, he, he's impossible to guard. Right. Like even when, yeah. when Shanahan and like the offense, all my coordinators, they knew no one can guard Hawk on a Q wave because there's there's no route to it. it's literally just quickness. Can I put my foot in the ground going forward faster than you can going backwards and create enough separation for the quarterback to make an easy throw? They lull him to sleep, make it seem like they're just going no snap, no play, which is all Tyreek Hill needs. And again, one on one, if I'm going out, there's no DB in the league that can guard Tyreek Hill in that situation. Yeah, they were all walked up because they were concerned with obviously some type of um, run play or something inside, yep. some quick hitter, and they were in man coverage. Um, and so that's why I was kind of confused why he was guarding such a heavy inside leverage against Tyree Kill. And the only thing I could mm-hmm. think of was like, oh, he was worried about him going across the field. But like you said, when you've got that middle of the field safety, you would think that he would be playing at least head up to outside because he was thinking, okay, it's probably going to be something outside quick breaking where they're going to try to take advantage of um, the situation on the field where maybe the quarterback can go to the sideline on a sprint out, throw that mm-hmm. quick pass. But um, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm sure that the, the defense had a lot of things going through their head, namely don't jump off sides because they're probably just trying to get us to jump off sides. And then when the ball was snapped, like you said, it, it was just enough of a pause for them to get the jump. But, um, one thing I wanted to get your take, and this has been one of the controversies after the game, was the rule where Rashad Higgins is reaching for the pylon and he fumbles into the end zone. It becomes the defense's ball on the 20-yard right. line. It's a touchback. What are your thoughts on that rule, and do you think it's something that should be changed? I think if there's ever a time to change it now is it, just based off of the whole world watching that and kind of collectively feeling the same way, unless you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan or an NFL um, defender, Right. I thought, I mean, we've, we've been on here for years saying how dumb we thought that rule was and, you know, never really thought that it would come bite us in the ass the way that it did. It's like you're, you're punishing. If that ball rolls out on the inch, inch yard line, then you have the ball on the inch yard line, right? Like, I don't know, something so small of a difference in such a, a, ver- a small variable having such a dramatic difference on the, the full game is still ridiculous to me. I didn't like the rule before. I hate it that much more now. And if they don't change it this year – then we're probably never going to see it changed. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really heard anybody in the NFL circles that has their thumb on the pulse of the rulemaking say, yeah, this is something we need to change. Right. But it's it's a rule that um, is arbitrary and capricious, and the only argument I've heard against it uh, or against changing it is that, well, there's all these rules in the playbook that are unfair for the offense, and so this is just one to have that's unfair for the defense. And I don't think that's a really legitimate argument to say, well, you know, yeah. all the other rules are unfair, so let's make an unfair, ridiculous rule that makes no sense uh, for the defense. Like, that doesn't make sense. Uh, it always is going to discourage great athletic plays near the goal line where guys are reaching out like Richard. Like, what do you tell Richard? Okay, so do we want players in the NFL across the league to be coached. Hey, when you get near the goal line, don't dive and reach out and go Superman and try to make a great, amazing athletic play. That's going to make sports center. No, just cover it up. Like you're a fullback and just try to fall forward. So you don't fumble into the end zone on accident. Like, I don't think that's what you want to encourage And life is right. all about incentives. The NFL rule book should all be about incentives. That's why you have the rules about hitting the quarterback. That's why you have the rules about the safe target area of hitting a receiver. It's all about incentivizing safe play. It's all about incentivizing exciting plays. That's why you have the offensive or the defensive pass interference rules and the holding rules that you have. So why would you all of a sudden 
disincentivize exciting athletic plays near the goal line when you're the offensive ball carrier. It doesn't make sense. I would love to see it changed. Especially if you're not going to call the actual rule that's already in the book, which is helmet to helmet, leading with the helmet. I mean, yeah. the dude just puts exactly. his arms back. And well, just... I think that's that's the other thing that the NFL needs to change this offseason. They need to have a sky judge yeah. that specifically reviews targeting calls because they happen too fast for the human eye to see. Yeah. Uh, and I think they need to also review the roughing the passer calls because we've seen throughout the NFL since the roughing the passer calls got tighter that NFL officials – and the human eye can't see the way the rule is written, how quickly and exactly where these quarterbacks are getting hit. And if it's by the rules or not by the rules and a 15 yard and an automatic first down is such a huge penalty that seems to happen in important parts of the game. It's too important to get wrong consistently. And that's why a sky judge would be great. And you don't ever have to slow the game down. Uh, an NFL fan wouldn't even know if the sky judge is watching it or calling down because yep. it's not like an instant replay where you have to slow down the game or stop the game in order to get it right. All right. So we're running out of time here. So let, let's take it forward facing for Browns fans. What makes you, what do you feel great about with the Browns organization? What do you feel? Meh, we got to fix up. Yeah. I'll give you three quick things. One is there's finally harmony in Berea, right? Mm. Uh, Andrew Barry came to town and him and Kevin Stefanski did their best biblical impersonation and they calmed the waters in Berea and they put everybody <laughs> on the same page. Everybody is feeling hunky dory and there is a bunch of people in that front office that have a common vision and a common goal and they understand how to get there. There's no power struggles going on and I think that's going to lead to a lot better learning and improvement throughout the entire offseason for this team because they don't have to worry about all the BS that's always seemed to be happening in the front office yep. and the fighting between the general managers and the coaches and the analytics and these people, like everybody's going to be on the same page. They're going to understand the talent that they need to improve and identify, and they're going to go out and they're going to get it. And then you're going to have a team, uh, offense and defense and special teams that are going to be having most, if not all of their coaches coming back and they're going to be learning the same offense and they're going to be able to graduate from kindergarten to first grade rather than having to go back and learn everything all over with a new coaching staff. You're going to be able to put building blocks on building blocks and you're going to be learning details this off season rather than learning the basic concepts. And it's going to make them better all across the board. I agree. I love, I love the tactic of the, the Browns just getting all smart guys in the building right and like they're just all very smart they're very mild-mannered they're just like yo let's just no we all have no egos same decision making processes and to your point it's created that harmony yes in theory it's right to say oh let's get one of these guys we'll get one of those guys it's like a friction in in philosophies whereas now again i mean there's more harvard you know people in the browns organization than in damn silicon valley right and it's like they're all in the same page and 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 the ship is going in the right if direction. If you want to bring a startup with a great idea like Hawk has, bring it to Berea. Skip Silicon Valley. You got a lot smarter people in Berea. Uh, so now I like that. And and the other two things that I'm really excited about is uh, Baker Mayfield, the improvement he made throughout the season, yeah. his embracing of Kevin Stefanski in this offense, which is so perfectly suited to his skill set. Uh, I, I can't wait to see him in year two with this offense and the on offensive and off line the field too. Oh. He's become a leader. He's at, like. He, he talked about like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, shut up and do the work. And this year he didn't say a word. So, you know, people kill him, you know, people have been critical of him, um, you know, but we got to give him his props. Like he's coming here. You haven't heard anything from him. He just played ball. He took the Browns to the playoffs for the first time in, you know, decades. They got a win and to, you know, they were one touchdown away, one bad call away 
from going to the AFC Championship. So yeah. the future is bright. All right, what uh, first off-season front office move that needs to happen for the Browns? Uh, I think what they're going to do is they're going to try to get more speed in their defensive secondary. I think it was pretty clear that the teams that you're going to have to beat to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC are going to be the Buffaloes, the Ravens, they're going to be the Chiefs. And to be able to keep up with the speed that those teams have on offense, you're going to need to upgrade and improve the overall athleticism and speed of your linebackers and your secondary so that you can call a defensive game plan that can maybe try to limit those guys a little bit. Yep, got to give some help. I mean, you've seen what the benefit of having top-notch DBs and all everything D linemen can do for the Rams defense, right? With Aaron yeah. Donald and um, Jalen Ramsey, we have that in Denzel Ward. If we get a little bit more help back there, um, then you really got something special in the defense. I would say you got to sign Rashard Higgins. Obviously, everyone knows my personal connection and you know how much of a fan of him I am, just in general. But if you look at when Rashard came on. And they started, you know, letting that chemistry that he and Baker have. That's when the tide turned for the Cleveland Browns. So it just shows you how important of a piece there is. And maybe maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones is that. That, like, kind of just take the top off the defense guy. Like the Travis Benjamin that, like, yo, you're just scared all the time when this guy's in the field because they could heave it 50 yards. We need that guy. And, again, maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones is that. Um but I, I think that would help. And obviously Odell being back, right? Like with this new rhythm that Baker has, with this new rhythm the offense has, adding an all-everything, another all-everything playmaker makes these guys that much better. I mean, they, I, I next year, I don't think people will be crazy to be calling for the Browns playing in the Super Bowl. You heard it here first on the Tomahawk Show. Browns in the Super oh. Bowl 2022. There it is. Before we leave, Super Bowl picks. Who's going to the Super Bowl, Joe? Who's going to win it? And then, Nat, you follow it up. Yeah, I like Packers, Bills in the Super Bowl, and I like Bills winning their very first Super Bowl. I got wow. them 24 to 21 in the Super Bowl. Super Bills. Super Bills. All right, Nat, what do we got? I also have Packers and Bills going to the Super Bowl because what? I'm picking Bills over Chiefs, and but I do have the Packers winning it all. All right, so I've had the Packers and the Chiefs. I might change it up. I'm still going Chiefs. But a part of me wants to go Buccaneers. It's tough. I'm going to stick with it for now, but check back my Twitter because I might change it before Check kickoff. back after the game. He'll have check a back pick. after the game. I'm going to change this whole <laughs> shit up. All right, I'm going Chiefs, Packers. Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Ooh. 37-34. Mm. As of now. Again, like check it. back after the games because I will have a better prediction for who plays in the Super Bowl. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Like, subscribe, share, and make sure you keep harassing Joe online to figure out what our plan for this show is going forward for the rest of the season. Otherwise, he won't call me. All right, Joe, any final thoughts? My only final thoughts is... Perfect. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. Yeah! <laughs> there he is.